let's just take a moment to thank God for this day. It's a day when we remember and recollect something that we should be doing all the time. That we should be remembering and recollecting what the Lord has done. And the Lord has done it all for us. So let's just say thank you, Father. Father, we say thank you, Lord, because you died on that cross, nailed my sins on that cross. But Father God, you did not remain on that cross. Jesus, you were not stuck to that cross because you rose up. You defeated death. You broke the bondage of sin. You broke everything that the devil had against us, Lord. And Father, in that process, you set us free, Lord. Father God, we are so thankful and grateful today, Lord. Today we have the freedom to worship, Lord Father. Father God, we come to you with a free spirit, Lord Father, knowing, Lord, that in your presence is our life, and our life is in your presence. Father God, we give glory unto you, Lord. Father, we come at this time into your hands, Lord, that even as we continue to meditate from your word, Lord Father, you will minister unto every one of us, Lord Father. And you will help us to refocus our lives, Lord Father. Rededicate our lives, Lord Father. So that what you have done will truly be meaningful in our lives, Lord Father. And we will truly reflect that love that you had shed on that cross, Lord Father. We thank you, we give glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's take our seats, please. And once again, on behalf of the leadership of the Bread of Life Fellowship, let me wish you all a very happy Resurrection Day or Easter. Now, two days back, on Good Friday or Crucifixion Day, you heard Pastor Sean telling us the objectives as to why Christ so willingly went to the cross. It was redemption, reconciliation, and relationship, a covenant relationship. Now, none of these, redemption, reconciliation, or relationship, would actually mean anything if Christ remained dead. If, the, if Christ, who died on that cross, buried in an un, unused tomb, and whose body would have been embalmed with sweet-smelling spices, herbs, and oils, had he remained there, as a dead body, then redemption, reconciliation, relationship would mean nothing. Our coming here this morning would mean nothing. Our meeting together in the name of Jesus Christ would mean nothing. After all, many men have died before Jesus Christ and they have said many words of wisdom. But when they died, those words of wisdom were buried with them. Many men have died after Jesus Christ. And when they died, their words of wisdom were buried in the caskets along with them. But the words of Jesus, spoken when he walked on this earth, are even spoken today. And we speak them all the time. We internalize them, we memorize them. They have meaning to us. They bring us life. They bring us encouragement. They have become words that are used in all kinds of circumstances and situations. Whether it is the inauguration of a king or a president or a bishop. Or the burial of the same people. The words of Jesus are quoted. It's not the words of men that are quoted. It's the words of Jesus that are quoted again and again and again and again. When you and I are in need of a word of encouragement, a word of wisdom, a word of understanding, or if our euphoria needs to be tempered down a bit, it is only the words of Jesus Christ that actually make a difference in our life. It's nothing that we say to each other, whatever glorious words we may use, whatever high-sounding words we may use, they actually don't mean anything. But it is the words of Jesus Christ quoted from the scriptures 
that actually touch our hearts. When somebody is going through a tough time and you give him a word of encouragement from the word of God, it might just be six words. They bring the greatest hope and encouragement to that person. Not the essays that you give. Not the verbose speaking that you make, which can go for minutes together. And the person on the other side is just thinking, can you please keep quiet? Because that's not what I want to hear. But it is the words of Christ. Now the simple truth is that, if Jesus had died and remained dead, those words would mean nothing. Dead men's words mean nothing, really. It is only because he conquered death, defeated the power of hell and Satan, rose up to life on the third day, ascended to heaven 40 days later, and continues to sit at the right hand of God the Father, advocating for you and me. It is only because of this that, that his words today have absolute power. And when the words of Christ come to us, they hit us with authority and power. And when you speak in the name of Jesus, those words are powerful words, that even Satan and the demons tremble at those words. You and I don't have to tremble. But even Satan and the demons tremble at the words of Jesus. Satan doesn't tremble at our words. He laughs. It makes, no, it makes no impact on him. It's only the words of Jesus, the name of Jesus and the words of Jesus. And all that is possible only because of one thing. He died. Jesus Christ died. And the third day he rose again. It is given for man to die. And when Jesus walked on the earth, he was a man. So it is not strange that a man should die. It is not strange that a man should be killed. It is not strange that a man is sentenced to death. And he dies before his time. And so Jesus also went to the cross. It was his time to die. But he didn't stay dead. That's the difference. That's the difference. You see, I found something very interesting, and that is, a dead person coming to life is not a very strange thing in the Bible. In fact, there are ten recorded instances in the Bible of when and how this happened. We do not have the time to look into every one of these. But let me mention it to you so that you may choose to check it out once you get home. And make sure that I am not pulling some April Fool's joke on you. Because after all, today is April 1st. Okay. I was just reading something online yesterday. And the world is mocking the resurrection of Jesus. They said, this is the biggest April Fool joke that the Christians believe. The fact that Easter is on April 1st in 2018 has given a greater handle for all these mockers and accusers to make fun of Christians. This is, according to them, the biggest ever April Fool joke. But believe me, you and I know better. It is anything but a joke. And I feel sorry for all those who think that it is a joke. Because they don't know what their future holds. And they better be careful. But if any one of us here thinks that today is also an April Fool joke, you better be careful. Can I have my first slide, sister? Three things happened before. Three coming back to life. Instant happened before Jesus' earthly walk. We won't go into this, but I'm just putting the reference so that you can make sure that 
It is true. It is there in the Bible. Elijah raised the son of the widow of Zarephath from the dead. 1 Kings chapter 17. Elisha raised the son of the Shunammite woman. In 2 Kings chapter 4. And interestingly, the third episode is when a body, when a dead body touched the dead body of Elisha. You see, this dead person was in the process of being buried. And suddenly the burying party recognized that a raiding party was coming. And so they dumped the body into the first available grave and that grave happened to be the grave of Elisha. And when the body hit the body of Elisha, this dead man came to life. That is Elisha. Second Kings chapter 13. Two happened, my next slide sister, two happened after Jesus returned to heaven, after his walk on this earth. Peter raised Dorcas or Tabitha from the dead, Acts chapter 9. Paul raised Eutychus from the dead, Acts chapter 20. Next slide sister. Three happened in his presence. Jesus raised the son of the widow of Nain. Luke chapter 7. Jesus raised the daughter of Jairus from the dead. Luke chapter 8. And the best known story. Luke, sorry, John chapter 11. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. So that's 3 plus 2, 5 plus 3, 8. So we need two more, because I said there should be ten. One happened, my next slide, sister. One happened when Jesus died. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 27, verses 50 to 53, that many saints rose from the dead. The graves were opened when Jesus said, it is finished. And he gave up his spirit on the cross. At the crucifixion of Jesus, many saints came out. And in the Gospel of Matthew, it simply says, they went into the cities. And finally, of course, my last slide, sister. There was Jesus himself. He died. He rose again. He rose from the dead. And this is recorded in every Gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And of course Paul and Peter and all the other people who have written books in the Bible have alluded to it in one way or the other. Because everything about the Bible focuses on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because if the death was not there and if the resurrection of Jesus Christ was not there, the Bible is just a novel. It's a best-selling novel. But you and I know today that it is more than a novel. There are stories. There are love stories. There are tragicomic stories in the Bible. There are tragedies played out in the Bible. There are biographies played out in the Bible. There's history in the Bible. So it's a book of books. But it is anything but a simple novel. Now let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Mark chapter 16 and that's where we'll take our passage from this morning Mark chapter 16 and we'll read verses 1 to 20 and I'm reading it from the New King James Version Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices, that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. 
you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb. And they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven, seven, seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him, as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And when they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Now this is one of the greatest factual episodes ever recorded in the Bible. And it's confirmed in every gospel. It is one of the greatest factual episodes ever recorded. Now let's examine this passage a little bit. Now I know this is a passage that we all know, many of us know. We have read it from one gospel or the other, or we have read all versions, we have compared them, we have, we have looked at different things, but let's just look at it again. Now verse 1 tells us that Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices to prepare his body. And as we read this passage, we need to remember one thing. Jesus is a game changer. He's always been a game changer. He never did things the way it was expected to be done. He never followed man-made customs or traditions. That's not the way of Jesus. He is a game changer. And in death, he continued to break customs. Now, verse 1 tells us that Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices to prepare body. But you see, in Jewish custom, a man's body had to be prepared by men. And a woman's body had to be prepared by women. Where were the men? In fact, there is a committee when somebody dies. See, Jew Jews are a very close community. Everybody knows what's happening in everybody's life. Okay, there is no secret. So your bank balance is known to your neighbor. Everybody knows everything about you. So there is a committee that is there in the Sanhedrin, which is directed to take care of the burial of anybody, as long as the person was a Jew. It didn't matter if he was a criminal or not. That committee was called the Chevara Kadisha. And that committee would always pick men to prepare the body of a man. That committee would always pick women to prepare the body of a woman. But what happened here? The committee never came into existence. And it was women who came to prepare the body of Jesus. This Sunday morning, 2,000 years back, 
It was the women who came. We know that there were men. We know that Jesus had brothers, according to Matthew chapter 13, verses 55 to 56, and Mark chapter 6, verse 3. We read that Jesus had four brothers. They were named James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And the Bible tells us that he had sisters. These were children born to Mary. Where were these men? Jesus was a game changer. In life, he was a game changer. In death, he was a game changer. He didn't worry about a committee. He didn't worry about the rules of the game. He didn't worry that this was the way things needed to be done. Those were man-made rules. And Jesus said, I've come to break all these rules. So what's the message for us? Jesus is a game changer. It's a simple message, isn't it? Now, I don't know what games people are playing in your life. Maybe it's people in your office. I don't know what games they are playing in your life. I don't know what games your relatives are playing. I do hear on and off of people who lose their property because somebody has swindled them out of it. The brothers or sisters have swindled them out of it. I hear of people who lose money because their brother or sister has swindled them out of it. So I don't know what games people are playing in your life, but all I can tell you is this, Jesus is a game changer. It doesn't matter what games people play. It doesn't matter whether people are playing games with your contracts. It doesn't matter whether people are playing games with your visas. It doesn't matter whether people are playing games with your salaries. When God gets into the picture, He changes the game. It's as simple as that. Okay, God doesn't, Jesus Christ never followed man-made rules. He said, what's right needs to be done. That's it. If you're right in your office, you'll get your due rewards. If that piece of land should actually come to you, it will come to you. It's not going to get taken away. Maybe somebody's going to take it and tend it for some time. It's a free tending before they hand it over to you. Okay, don't worry about it. Jesus is a game changer. Verse 3 and 4 tell us that the women, when they were walking towards the tomb, they had a worry. Who was going to roll away the stone from the tomb, from the door of the tomb, from the entrance of the tomb? Tombstones are not light. And actually, scientific calculations suggest that the stone covering a tomb would be close to a ton in weight. It would take many men to roll that stone across the door of a tomb. And this is done so that nobody comes and steals away a body. A dead body which is laying in the tomb is a very respected body. In fact, that same Jewish committee is expected to stand guard over that tomb for four days. Because in Jewish thinking, it is on the fourth day, it is at the end of the third day, that the spirit goes to heaven. Remember, Jesus came to Lazarus on the fourth day. Because he wanted to make sure that people knew that Lazarus was dead. But he didn't come on the third day because they would say, oh, the spirit was still there. Because in Jewish thinking, the spirit is there for three days. And there is a committee that watches over. And so there is this big stone which is kept there so that nobody takes away the body. Nobody would steal that body away. Now the interesting thing for us here is this. The stone was not rolled away so that Jesus would walk out. Because we know in other places of the Bible that Jesus would walk through doors. After his resurrection, he came into a room with the closed doors where he met his disciples. So a stone could not stop Jesus. He could walk through doors or windows or, or uh, walls 
it was nothing to him. So a stone could not have stopped Jesus. So the stone was not rolled away so that Jesus could walk out. So why was the stone rolled away? The stone was rolled away so people could see in. So that the women who went in and then the men who went in would see that the body was not there. Nobody was telling a story. That the tomb was again empty. The tomb, that grave, could not hold Jesus. Dead bodies are expected to remain in tombs. Graves are expected to hold the body of a dead person. No tomb could hold the body of Jesus Christ. And that's why that stone was rolled away so people could look in and see that Jesus was not there. And then they would remember. He said, you put this body to death and the third day it will rise again. And then they would remember it. So what's the message for us? Jesus rolls away all obstacles in your path so you can go forward. Okay. There is no obstacle that's going to stop any one of us here. Okay. People can put obstacles. It doesn't matter. Okay. The women did not touch that stone to move it. They only said, who is going to roll, roll away that stone? And you can ask the same question. Who is going to roll away that obstacle in front of you? And the answer is very simple. God is going to do it. God did it then, God's going to do it now. God's been doing it all the time. Many of us have, made, have given testimonies right from here. Saying where great obstacles, where mountains were in front of you, those mountains were removed. And God does it. So that's the message for us. God rolls away all obstacles in your path so that you may go forward. Now, as an interesting aside, let's move away from the book of Mark for a moment. Let's just turn to John chapter 20, verses 6 and 7. We'll come back to Mark, but just for a moment, let's move to John chapter 20, verses 6 and 7. John 20, 6 to 7. Then Simon Peter came, following him, that's the other disciple, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Now, interesting, the amount of detail that John writes here. It could have just been written like in most of the other Gospels, that the clothes were away. But John says that the linen clothes were separate, and the handkerchief, which was tied around the head, was not with the linen clothes, but was folded and kept separately. Now, in Jewish custom, once again, a neatly folded handkerchief signified that the master has gone out for a while, but he would be back soon, and the dinner must be ready for his, on his return. That was the signal that a folded napkin, handkerchief, tablecloth, indicated to those who were serving the master. Maybe there was something that had called him out, and he folded the napkin and went out. So that was an indicator to the servants, get the dinner ready. I'm coming back. If the handkerchief was just thrown, it meant, I'm not coming back. That was an indicator. A lot of things in life are done by indication. Many years back, I was in Saudi Arabia, and the day I landed, uh, I was driven from the airport to my place of work, which is 120 kilometers away from Riyadh. And this uh, driver, taxi driver who was taking me stopped at a particular point and said, let's have some coffee. Okay, and he actually stopped at a mosque because it was prayer time. So he went in for the prayer and I was sitting in the car. And then he comes out and calls me and says, let's have coffee. I said, fine, I, love, I like coffee. Uh, so I went with him and he took me inside the mosque and we, side room, gave us coffee. And there were a couple of people, there was an old Saudi gentleman there with the kahwa, a cup of, uh, you know, the kahwa, whatever they call that. 
And I had this coffee. I took a little bit, I liked it. And I drank it. And then I kept it like that and they poured again. Now I was in trouble. Okay, I drank again. Um, I put it back and said, thank you. And he poured again. No, I don't know how to, I, I mean, I've said thank you. Uh, I said, that's enough, thank you. But he pours again. And then this taxi driver suddenly realized that I'm a new person to this place. And he then whispered to me, if you are done with the coffee, you need to shake that cup. Like that. Now, I did not know that. Okay, it's not written in my passport that I need to know that. <laughs> so anyway, so the next time I drank, I put it, I did that. So the old gentleman immediately stopped serving me kahwa coffee. So I learned a lesson. That was the custom. No words. And so, in every place you find that there are customs. You know, there are some books which tell you when you go to Italy, for example, you better not shake your head in a particular manner. Because it will have a wrong, it will give a wrong impression to the Italians. Thank you. If you're going to some other place, if you're going to Germany, you have to, how you nod your head would be construed in a particular manner. Now, we Indians have this great habit. I don't know, we think we've got loose necks or something. We, we're either doing this all the time or we're doing this all the time. We get into trouble if we go to Europe. I'm telling you. Luckily, we have more than a billion people, so it doesn't matter if some of us get shot. Okay, we'll still survive. Okay. But we need to know the customs. And the custom of the land then was if there was a folded handkerchief. It meant the master is coming back. And right there when Peter entered along with, his, with the other disciples and saw the folded handkerchief, that's a message that he would get immediately. The master is alive. And the master is coming back. They are not forsaken. And so what's the message for us? Simply this, Jesus is coming back soon. He has not forsaken us. It doesn't matter what is happening around us. It simply doesn't matter what is happening around us. All these hardships and sufferings are things that have already been prophesied in the books of the Bible. Whether it is personal sufferings, personal hardships, or hardships that we see in the church, the persecutions, the difficulties, why are we worried? Read your Bible, it's there. These things must happen. That's what the Bible says. These things must happen. And then the end will come. And what is the end? Jesus Christ will come. Okay, that's what he has said. So let's not be worried about these little trembles, tremblers that happen all around us, tremors. These are not major earthquakes at all. The major earthquake is yet to happen. Read Revelation, you'll know the earthquake that will happen. So Jesus is coming back. He, is, he has not forsaken us. That is our confidence. That was the hope and the confidence that Peter and his disciples would have seen immediately when they entered into that tomb and saw that the linen cloth was separate and the handkerchief was folded and kept in a place. And that's the same thing for us today. We are not a hopeless people. We are, we are the only people who have hope. And it's up to us to make this hope infectious. Don't worry about passing on your viral infection to other people. Pass on the infection of hope. Let people know that there is hope in Christ. That's the only thing that the world really needs to know. Nothing else. Now let's return to Mark chapter 16. In verses 6, 9 and 12, we get multiple statements informing us that Jesus is alive. And that's the message that needed to get out. Go and tell that Jesus is alive. Jesus had defeated death. Death 
no longer had a stranglehold on man. Death was a loser. And the devil had lost. Unfortunately, in verses 11 and 13, we read of something that is so common to all of us. Now, if you have your Bibles, look at it. Verses 11 and 13. They did not believe. They got the message. Jesus is alive. Jesus is risen. They did not believe. This is a problem for many of us in many situations. We do not trust God completely. I am not even going to ask you whether you believe whether Jesus resurrected or not. Because if I do, you will all say, yes, you, you believe that. At least most of you would. Okay, but my point would simply be this. If you believe in a risen Savior, you need to trust Him completely. There is no such thing as 99% trusting God. It's either 0% or 100%. Nothing in between. You've got to trust God completely. You've got to trust God in every situation. The problem is we trust God, but we do not trust God completely. We trust God only when our prayers are answered according to our plans. And then we say, praise God, God is good. Pastor, I have a testimony. But we need to learn, we need to believe that God has got greater plans for us than the little plans that we think about. See, our plans are so small. Our plans are so small. How many of us like to build houses? I do. The rest of you don't want to build houses. Okay. But the point simply is this. The Bible tells us that Jesus has gone to build a mansion. So what do you need a house for? You see, we are so tiny in our thinking. God, I want my increment. God says, I've got a windfall for you, but you want an increment. Okay, seven reals. Here you are. And then you crib and say, my company gave me only seven reals. What am I supposed to do with seven reals? You asked for that. You said, give me an increment. I want only my increment. You see, we are so small in our thinking. Our plans are so small. Our plans are minuscule. But God has much greater plans for us. Our plans are very regional. When I retire and go back, I want to go back to my little town. I don't want to go into God's world. I want to go to my little place. Into some little corner that I am comfortable in. That's my plan. But I need to recognize that my master has got a much, much, much bigger world that he can put me into. It can be anywhere. In fact, even if he chooses, he can put me on a rocket and send me to Mars, never to return here. That's fine. Because whether I'm here or there, God is the same. It's the same God on earth and the same God in Mars. Because Mars was also created by him, if you believe that. So, we need to, we need to live a life where we take the message that, one, Jesus is alive. And we better believe everything about it. Okay? And we better surrender our lives completely into His hands. Now, have you lost your job? Frankly, you need to rejoice. Because now God can give you a better job. Have you been asked to leave Muscat? Rejoice. Because God is taking you to a better place. Whoever said that Muscat is the best place in the world? Okay, you read business uh, magazines. You read uh, the latest uh, 
uh, newspapers, uh, Muscat is not in the top ten. Okay, there are many other places that God can take us to. So if you have been asked to leave from Muscat, thank you. Your, your, your season here is over. God has brought you here for a season, for a purpose. That purpose is accomplished. It's time to move on. It's time to move on because at the end of the day, as children of God, God's plan and purpose in our life is more important than the little jobs that we carry. So let's not get worried about situation. Jesus is alive. We are not, we are not serving a dead God. We are not serving an idol. We are serving a living God who is so concerned about everything about you. Including the presence or absence of hair on your head. I have to mention absence, you know. <laughs> right. From verses 15 to 20, we read of the Lord's commission and how the disciples went about it. God said, go and preach. And the disciples went and preached. And the Bible says, Jesus was with them. Verse 20 is something I really like. They went, that's the disciples, they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them. Prior to that, it was the disciples working with the Lord. Now, you become the front. You take the credit. You are the big boss. It's Jesus Christ who is working with you. Can you see that change where you have been elevated? You were the deputy. Now you are the main person. Jesus Christ has given us that authority. There was a time when we had to work with him. Now he is working with us. And signs and wonders follow. That's what the Bible says. So if we are missing it somewhere, we are missing something from the word of God. So what's the message for us? Simple. And I don't need to elaborate on this. Go and preach. Jesus is there with you. That's the instruction we have been given. If, if resurrection of Jesus means anything to us, we need to go out there shouting, Jesus is risen. We have a living God. I don't know about you guys, but we have a living God. Okay. And my God lives. My God has defeated death. My God has defeated Satan. Okay, I am not under the power of Satan. That's what we need to be going out and telling. Okay, and who's going to give you the boldness to say this? It's Jesus. He's there with you. He's going to empower you. He's going to anoint you. He's going to put the words in your mouth. Just consider Peter. When he was with Jesus, every time he opened his mouth, he said the wrong things. That's Peter. But after he was empowered, Peter was an entirely different person. He spoke with authority. He spoke with boldness. He spoke the right things. He stood for what was right. And he knew what he was talking about. And that's what we should be today. It doesn't matter what the world thinks about us. That we are blabblers, that we are stammerers, and we have no idea what we are talking about. This is an April Fool's joke. Fine. Say what you want. Let me say what I want. That's it. Okay? And so now I come to my final question. And it is this. Are you dead or alive? You may think that it's a foolish question, considering that all of us in this hall have hearts that are beating, lungs that are breathing, and brains that are functioning, hopefully. But that's not my question. 
My question is, are you spiritually dead or alive? You need to answer this question. I can't answer it for you. You need to look at yourself and answer this question. Don't look at me and say, am I spiritually dead or alive? I'm alive. Okay, let me tell you that. Let me declare that right away. I'm spiritually alive. I'm not dead. What about you? Are you spiritually dead or alive? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespass and sins. And you he made alive who were dead in trespass and sins. So if you are in sin, if you are in trespass, you are dead. Let's not mince words here. If you are living a sinful life, we can put on masks. We can show the world that we are saints. But inside we know that we are sinners. If that's the situation you are in. If you know that you are doing what is wrong. Your lifestyle is that of a sinner. Your habits are that of a sinner. Your thoughts are wrong. You are not living righteous, holy lives. You are a sinner. If that's your state, you are dead. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And let me read it from the New Living Translation. You were dead because of your sins. And because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. For he forgave all our sins. He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. You were dead because of your sins. Then God made you alive. Have you been made alive by Christ? Have you been made alive? This Easter day, declare to yourself whether you are dead or alive. Because that's the question we need to answer. That's the one question we cannot leave unanswered this morning. Let me remind you of the promise for the week. It is from 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. And this is the testimony or record that God has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. As we mentioned on Friday, it cannot be made clearer than this. It is a straightforward sentence. But it's, it's a sentence, let us not push it under the carpet. Let us put it in front of our eyes and say, do I have the Son or not? Because if I have the Son, I'm alive. If I don't have the Son, I'm dead. Are you dead or alive this morning? 2,000 years back, Jesus rose from the dead and is alive forevermore. It's time for me to close. And so as we close, let's go into an attitude of prayer. Because I'm going to ask this question. Is there anyone here who would like to invite this resurrected Jesus into your life? Is there anyone here who would like to invite this resurrected Jesus into your life? This is a good opportunity. This is prime time as we celebrate his resurrection for you to commit your life to the living Lord. Remember, the resurrection is a fact of history that demands a response of faith. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. This is what we read. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth Confession is made unto salvation. And in verse 13 it says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
all eyes closed, all heads bowed. Look at your own lives. Where do you stand? Do you have the sun in you? Or would you like to invite the sun this morning? Because if you would like to give your life to Christ this morning, may I ask you to stand? Well, everybody has their eyes closed. If you wish to give your life to Christ, because He is the way, He is the only way, He gives life. Without Him, we are dead. With Him, we have life. So if you wish to give your life to Christ this morning, please stand and I will pray with you and fellow saints will pray with you. It's not a time to be embarrassed. It's your future. There is no guarantee that any one of us will be here in an hour's time. Church, let me leave you with these thoughts. Jesus is a game changer. Jesus rolls away your obstacles. Jesus is coming back soon. Jesus is alive and you better believe it. Jesus said, go and preach. And you better go and do it. Praise the Lord. Let's open to that Mark 16.16. And I want us to really, really look at the consequences of what Jesus said. So when we preach, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. But Jesus did not stop there. He said, He who does not believe will be condemned. I read an article which claimed that the Pope said there is no hell. Well, I don't want to follow whether that is true or not. But we're in a world where people have been taught to believe, just live your life anyhow. When you leave this world, nothing happens. And I want to bring this passion in our hearts to use this to preach to people, to witness, especially in this year of harvest, that these people, they are condemned if they don't believe. And if they die, where are they going to? Hell. Let Jesus sprinkle up this compassion in our heart to do everything to ensure we preach this gospel so that at least we'll bring more unto the kingdom of God. Pastor, I've made altar call this morning. I want to believe all of us here we are saved. Wonderful. But if you are not, do not be deceived. You are condemned already. People say, oh, don't preach each message. No, Jesus said it. You are condemned already. If you are not a child of God, Jesus can come before you leave this church now. Will you be with him in heaven? Let's be on our feet. John 3.16, Jesus said it himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him will be what? But who refused to believe, what will happen? Perish. Let's pray that, Lord, every soul that is here to be saved, 
starting from this month card. Lord, please, one way or the other, we don't know how you're going to do it. Save their soul. Please pray that prayer with passion in your heart. Each time we hear somebody died, this one died, you ask yourself, where are they going to? We have hope, we have hope, we have hope, but these people have no hope. And Jesus came to die for them. He came to die for them. They were included in that package of salvation. But they are going. They are going to hell in their numbers. Daddy, please, we don't know you are going to do it. We make the commitment to preach, to do everything. But please, save their soul. You arrested Paul yourself. There was no more intervention. Lord, please save their soul. In their dream. Save their soul. Reach out to them. Reveal yourself to them. Lord, we pray that, Lord, let more people believe you that they will not be condemned. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. And finally, if you are once born again, and you are still committing sin, you are part of the condemned. There are people preaching today that once saved, forever saved. You can live your life anyhow, you will still make it to heaven. That is the life of the pit of hell. Judas Iscariot is in hell right now. Demas is in hell right now. They were born again, backslidden, and then hell. So if you are still living in sin, and you claim, I'm a born again child of God, you are playing with fire. You better go to God and cry for mercy and retrace your step back to the cross. Because that you gave your life one day, but you are living in sin, does not mean you are going to heaven, you are part of the condemned. So you are in that category, I want you to go to God right now and ask for God's mercy. You know you are still struggling with sin. Yes, you say you are born again, but you are still struggling with sin. Why don't you go to God and say, Lord, I am back. I am back to you. I am back to you. I will not go back to those sin again. You still commit secret sin. We see you come to church, but you do it differently when you go out there. Why don't you use this opportunity to cry for mercy? You to cry for mercy. You are not even sure you are born again. You are not sure because you are going from one sin to the other. You are lukewarm. Today you are hot. Tomorrow you are not. Say, Lord, please help me. I don't want to be condemned. Help me. Help me, Lord. Help me, Jesus. Help me. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. It is done. It is done. The grace to live for God and to appear before Him when we leave this word, God will give unto us in the name of Jesus. Celebrate, Jesus, celebrate. Celebrate, Jesus, celebrate. Hallelujah. Celebrate, Jesus, celebrate. Celebrate, Jesus, celebrate. We say in His presence, in His praising, hallelujah, forevermore. Yes, in His, His praising, Come on, celebrate. Come on, celebrate. The resurrection of our God. Hallelujah. Please go ahead for the rest of today, singing that song in your heart. Singing it and tell everybody wherever you go that Jesus is alive. And I pray that whatever is dead in our body, in our health, by the resurrection power, that same power that made Jesus to come out from that grave, we make alive everything dead in our body in the name of Jesus. Everything dead in your business is coming alive in the name of Jesus. 
everything dead in your career is coming alive in the name of Jesus. Everything dead in whatsoever that concerns you, I decree they are coming alive in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We give you all the glory. As we go, let your presence go with us. This month, it shall be a great month for us. We have started this month shouting, Jesus is alive. I decree so shall we shout for the rest of this month in the name of Jesus. That when the world sees what you will do in our life this month, they will know indeed we are serving a living God and not a dead God in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. By the hand of this month, Every one of us, we shall have loads of testimony to share of your goodness in our life in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. The grace together and fellowship, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. And we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Our bountiful abbess is sure as we commit to tireless labor for soul. The Lord will help us in Jesus' name. Happy Easter to you. God bless you.